Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Salvation Army honors its volunteers and donors. A Minnesota native is in the spotlight as Moulin Rouge hits the stage in Minneapolis, and the U of M hosts Big Ten track and field. But first, Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz says regardless of what happens at the state GOP convention in Rochester, the fight among Republican gubernatorial hopefuls will likely continue through the August 9th primary election. MNN's Bill Werner asked Professor Schultz. How much of a disadvantage does that put them at, given that Democrats a week after the Republican convention and in the same venue in Rochester are going to have a coronation for Tim Walls as their candidate? Well, this is a big problem because right now we're looking at Governor Waltz um, having an enormous fundraising advantage um, over any of the Republicans, on top of which his name recognition is clearly very high in this state, and he can use the power of incumbency. Put those three together. Um, If the Republicans now have to spend their next couple of months fighting against one another, expending their war chests against one another, that's just going to make it even harder for them to be able to mount an effective campaign um, in the general election. On top of which, what generally happens is that you want to make a pivot. You want to make a pivot as soon as possible from, let's say, your, your convention and from your party to maybe trying to reach out to a broader uh, population. And with the Republicans, especially in Minnesota, um, you know, which as a party, um, doesn't have quite as many people supporting them um, officially as the Democrats do, and of which their base is less populous than the Democrats. They need to make that pivot very rapidly, and the longer they have to do an intra-party fight, the more difficult it will be for them to be able to make that shift. Tim Walls probably comes out of the gate at an advantage. What kinds of things coming out of left field, and we oftentimes see things coming out of left field um, in election campaigns, um, what what could put Walls at, at a disadvantage or throw him for a loop? Yeah, a couple possibilities. One of them could very well be uh, some other serious law and order or policing type of issue um, in terms of the fact that the people in the state are 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 nervous about rising crime rates. And if we were to get perhaps another um, real significant spike in crime, or let us say, uh, one one wants to hope it would never happen, another incident similar to what happened with George George Floyd, um, and then what happens afterwards in terms of not just um, the death of somebody, but let us say um, rioting and so forth like that, that could clearly be a possibility. Uh, Again, we're hoping it won't happen, but if, for example, uh, the COVID um, pandemic were to reemerge, I think that that becomes another issue too. So, what about if the economy are, goes south? Well, that's the other possibility too. Mm-hmm. Of course, is that mm-hmm. one of the tough things that the Democrats have to worry about this year is that even though uh, the latest figures are suggesting that the unemployment rate is quite low everybody's concerned about inflation, you know, that every time somebody goes to the grocery store, goes to the fill up the tank of gas, um, they get to see that inflation. And even though Governor Waltz and the Democrats at the state level don't have a lot of control over inflation and over the economy, 
those that kind of a bread and butter issue about inflation um, is something that 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 could hurt the governor in terms of uh, being held responsible for something that oftentimes incumbents are held responsible for. That is Hamlin University professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person, and if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Salvation Army this week is honoring their volunteers and donors. Tasha Radel has more. This is a tradition that's been going on for nearly 70 years. Joining me today is Minnesota Salvation Army spokesman Dan Furry. Dan, this is a week you are honoring the heart and soul of your organization, volunteers and donors. Can you tell us a little how this tradition came about? Absolutely. Uh, it started actually back in 1954 when Congress declared and President uh, Dwight Eisenhower proclaimed the very first National Salvation Army Week. And he it served as a reminder to all Americans to give freely of themselves. And in his proclamation, he mentioned that uh, among Americans, the Salvation Army has long been a symbol of wholehearted dedication to the cause of brotherhood. It's interesting because even that far ago in 1954, the Salvation Army was already about 75 years old in the USA. So well-established then, and uh, we've continued to do that work uh, until today. I know volunteers are a big part of the Salvation Army. Oh, my goodness. Um, absolutely. And, and you're, you're right when you talk about uh, volunteers because they really are the backbone of the Salvation Army. We could not do what we do without the, the volunteers that, that sign up to help. Um, I, can, I can tell you here in the, in the Northern Division, based here in Roseville, uh, we had 20, almost 22,500 volunteers sign up last year to help in a variety of capacities. The, the very basic, of course, is like ringing the bell at Christmas time outside a red kettle. Um, uh, a lot of people know us for that, and that's one one way people can serve. But there's so many other ways. There's there's serving food. There's there's mentoring. There's there's helping in a a, a clerical role. There's uh, serving on our um, uh, emergency disaster uh, response teams. Um, the interesting thing is that what we try and do is we try and match an opportunity. 
to the individual. So if an individual has a certain set of skills or um, or they have um, something that they want to do in particular, uh, we have a wide range of volunteer opportunities that, that people can choose from. So we want to make sure that people are um, effective and we want to make sure that they're enjoying their experience as a volunteer. And so we try and match them to the one that, that would fit best. That leads me into my next question. As we continue to fight our way through COVID, now Minnesotans are dealing with inflation, higher food prices, higher gas prices, and the list seems to go on and on. Are you folks at the Salvation Army expecting another busy year helping those in need? We absolutely are. Um, I, I can tell you that food distribution has uh, has tapered off somewhat from the peak of the uh, pandemic, but it's certainly well above, continues to be well above pre-pandemic times. And what we're starting to see now, and we knew this was coming, was um, uh, requests for uh, emergency financial assistance for people who are facing eviction. There have been uh, articles in our local papers recently about how the number of uh, eviction actions have spiked incredibly in the last month. And so we knew this was coming, and and so uh, a lot of people are behind in in their rent. Uh, analysis shows, as of right now, there are 77,000 Minnesota families who are behind in their rent, and and so that has gone up since Christmas time. So we know that the the eviction moratoriums that have come to an end are now having an impact, and people are more and more people are facing eviction. So we we really do see that um, having a, a big impact. So uh, uh, more people facing eviction, more people uh, still needing food assistance, um, it, it continues. And and usually uh, it, it takes a couple of years to rebound from the economic impact of something like this. So it, it, it doesn't happen immediately. And, and so here we are two years, uh, more than two years into the pandemic. And uh, when when you start looking at the effect of inflation that that we're seeing now, in addition to the rent evictions, um, there are lots and lots of people who still need help. So we are always uh, going to welcome uh, volunteers who want to lend a hand, packing food, distributing food. Um, there's plenty of work to do. And going back to volunteering for someone interested, where can they go to sign up or learn more information? Yes, thanks for asking. It's uh, an easy way. Go to our website. It's SalvationArmyNorth.org slash volunteer. SalvationArmyNorth.org slash volunteer. And I will say that, because um, I, I firmly believe this, is that a lot of people look at organizations like ours uh, who are in the business of trying to change lives. But when people sign up to volunteer, um, I, I always... Uh, like to tell them. I mean, you have an opportunity to change lives, and the life you might change might even be your own. So consider volunteering because it'll be worthwhile. Thanks again to my guest, Dan Furry, spokesman for the Salvation Army Minnesota Division. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The boisterous hit Broadway musical Moulin Rouge sings and dances its way to a Minnesota stage next week when the show opens at the Orpheum in Minneapolis. A Plymouth, Minnesota native is literally partly responsible for getting the show moving. I was thrilled to chat with dance captain Amy Kwanbeck about the show, her Minnesota background, and how she keeps the dancers in line. Yeah, so the the dance captain of a show upholds the integrity of all of the choreography in the show. And I do that by watching the show, noting the show. It includes taking care of the performers and making sure that lifts and things don't morph or continue to feel good and sustainable. Uh, it includes running and creating lift calls for the show. And the other part of my job is teaching understudies and swings the choreography in their new roles that they cover and making sure that the prep work for spacing or having them run certain numbers on stage or touch different set pieces all happens so that when they go into the show, they feel prepared and confident on stage. And uh, about how many cast members are you overseeing as you perform these duties? We have uh, 25 people on stage, but we have an additional... I believe there are eight of us off stage, and so I help manage I'm, uh, that whole group. And as a swing, I cover the six heels uh, tracks and Arabia and Nini. So I could potentially go on stage for eight people and beyond that uh, know the show from the zooming out standpoint of everyone's choreography. Amy, I want to ask you a little bit about the show in a minute here, but first, something that our, our listeners might be interested to know is that you were raised in Minnesota. If you don't mind, talk a little bit about, about your background growing up here and how you ended up from being in Plymouth, Minnesota to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, so I grew up, like you mentioned, in Plymouth uh, with my brother, Zach, and my mom and dad, Tom and Deb, and neither of them... Um, we're in the, the musical theater world. I mean, you know, my dad loved playing piano and sings and sang in the St. Olaf Choir. And um, both of my parents were very supportive of my passion for dance early on. And so I started dancing at a young age and started taking voice lessons very young as well. And it came down to the fact that I was involved in a lot of extracurricular curricular activities. And as I started to get more involved in dance, other things started to fall away because I just wanted to spend all of my time dancing. And so uh, I would dance at the dance shop, the studio, and eventually in high school, I was a member of the Trojet high school dance team and at Wyzetta and loved both experiences. And during the summers, I would go to ballet summer intensives. I went to ABT one year in California, and I went to Juilliard one year in New York and just continued to find as many opportunities as I could to continue growing and learning from new people and did tap conventions in New York. And really my, my parents were so good about helping find those opportunities when I was young enough to not necessarily know how to do that myself. And they instilled in that into, they instilled that to me to also go after my own opportunities and make my way. And so I graduated high school and knew I wanted to go to college for dance and auditioned so many different places and ultimately decided to go to University of California, Irvine. So I got my degree in dance performance there and got prerequisites to go to physical therapy school just in case I decided I wanted to do something else. And that body awareness has been so helpful in my career as a dancer. 
And upon graduating, I uh, got an agent in L.A. and auditioned for the first national tour of Wicked and had a job very quickly out of college, which is very lucky and fortunate and especially such an incredible credit and job and to learn so much about the business and have really experienced friends and castmates teach me. And then I moved to New York and kind of the rest is history. But I, yeah, I think it was just my passion for dance and the support that I had from my community and my parents really that allowed me to continue to pursue this and never really think like, oh, can I do this? Or is this something that people do? It was just like, well, you love this and you should go after it, which was really cool. And you're doing it, and that is fantastic. Um, Amy, you know, we have, uh, our listeners probably have some degree of familiarity with Moulin Rouge from the film that was out, but uh, if we do have folks that don't really have a sense of what it is, how would you describe this version of the show to people? Yeah, so from the moment you step into the theater, you are transported into Paris 1899 in the Moulin Rouge nightclub, and it's uh, exciting and indulgent and extravagant, and it's truly so beautiful, the costumes and the sets, and uh, you will leave on an emotional high, and at its core, it's a story about artists. Uh, we follow an American writer, Christian, and Satine, the dazzling star of the Moulin Rouge nightclub, and how their lives collide, and it it's really a, a beautiful show, and for those that do know and love the movie, I think that we honor it and our designers and creative teams did a, an amazing job of honoring the movie and knowing where its roots are and also bringing in current music and current thoughts and really trying to make uh, this generation a part of it as well. So I think it, it does a really great job of, of blending both and like paying homage to what pe- so many people love about the movie and also creating something new. And I've had, People come to the show that have never seen the movie and loved it, and people come to the show that love the movie and have loved it. And so that's also really exciting to know and to share with everyone. Do you have a particular style of dance that's your favorite to to teach to people or to do yourself? You know, now I I really love movement that is based in the storytelling. Like when I go to teach a master class, I love teaching musical theater because any kind of style can be story driven. And I think that's really cool now to think about and to teach because that's not always the case. And, you know, as a dancer, we're taught to have really great technique, which this choreography certainly requires. And but then that becomes like a part of your back pocket. Like you should just have that and know that that's there. And on top of it, you get to layer other things. And so like in this show, we have a lot of contemporary, um, I would say like, expansive movement and then they're also super sharp and dynamic and tight uh situations and i think the other thing that the show has that i really enjoy and probably one of my favorite styles i guess i would say would be partner work and being able to work with your partner and really hone in on what they need and listen to what their body's doing and and have that true collaboration on stage is really exciting it sounds like you have a, a lot of experience here and elsewhere, but I'm wondering if there's a special significance that, that uh, you place on performing here in your hometown. Is it is it different for you when you're here? It's so different. And, you know, Scott, I've actually never been to Minnesota as a professional or an adult and played played the Orpheum. So uh. I'm thrilled that this is 
it feels a little bit like a homecoming that I get to come back and uh, perform as an adult and share like the show that I'm so proud of with where I'm from, which I'm so proud of and be able to have those two worlds collide and yeah, get to share my world and what I do with my community that, that raised me and that I still want to be around and have friends and family there. Uh, well, it's just, it's, it's such a great story to have somebody, uh, just to have somebody have a dream to do something and to actually be able to do it is, is something I think we all aspire to and uh, can enjoy and appreciate that kind of a story. So thank you for sharing your story with me. And I, I mean, I don't know, you, you tell actors to break a leg. Do you, do you say something different to dancers? Because breaking a leg is probably not what you want to hear. Yeah, it's both. It's it's breaking a leg. It's mared, um, and you know because we're we're a cast of actors, dancers, singers, artists. So we'll we'll take all of the above. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota native and Moulin Rouge dance captain Amy Kwanbeck. Moulin Rouge opens at the Orpheum next week. Minnesota Matters returns after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For the first time since 2003, the Golden Gophers will host the Big Ten Men's and Women's Track and Field Championships this weekend at the U of M Track and Field Stadium. It's the first true showcase event for the new facility located on the campus near Athletes Village, the stadium opened in 2018, but the pandemic has somewhat restricted large-scale events like this to take place in the venue. MN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Matt Bingle, who oversees the Golden Gopher men's and women's track and field programs. He says he's eager to showcase the stadium. The things that I love about the track, and I think that with, with recruiting and when uh, outsiders come into the venue, I think it's uh, very unique. Um, you know, it, it does have the capacity to go up to 5,000 people. It is a true stadium. It's only a track stadium. Um, it is nine lane. It's the same surface that they uh, run the Olympic trials on, you know, and so it's a great surface. Uh, the layout, you know, it's kind of like its own little oasis back there. It's very quiet. Um, you kind of feel like you're just going into your own world, which I think is is a great setting. And then, you know, the, the key, one of the key factors of the facility that I like the most is that there is an indoor track underneath it. Okay. And so nobody in the Big Ten has that, you know, and I think our, our facility, um, in my opinion, you know, and, and I think it's either, you know, number one or number two stadium in the Big Ten in terms of 
for track to watch a track meet uh, the look of it the layout of it the space of it everything so it's a it's a beautiful facility and you know and we're blessed to uh to have it available and i think it just uh it makes you feel special when you turn that corner and you see it. Uh, you've got a couple of good teams you're sending into competition here. Let's talk about uh, the women's team first. Uh, they're they're going for a triple crown of sorts, right, in terms of what they did with the cross-country season, the indoor track season, and um, take us through your, your hopes and uh, maybe who uh, you guys will be uh, fighting with to uh, to ultimately hopefully take that trophy home on Sunday on the women's side. Well, you know, that that is correct. You know, we're trying. We've never done that in Minnesota. We're trying to uh, win the triple crown. You know, we've had a couple opportunities before and felt short so you know that's the goal um obviously but uh the bigger picture of that is you know it, it is ohio state and us and and then like penn state you know is in there as well and so it'll be a good battle as always you know none of these these championships are easy no matter if you win or lose there's just a lot of things that are happening there's so many events going on at the same time there's centimeters and inches and a hundredth of a second separate lots of this stuff and so you know it's a it's a three-day you know battle you know of of going through all the ups and downs you know over three days and so it's it's a lot of work um but you know we feel good about our, our women's team and and where they're at and the work they put in and i, I know they they know what at stake um but they they also know uh, how they compete best and they got to keep it simple. So, you know, but we feel, we feel good about, you know, who we are. And obviously I think, you know, even when coach Wilson was the head coach um, before me, you know, the goal was always to go into a big 10 meet and we want to be, you know, always pushing to be in the top three and have a shot, you know, and, and that hasn't changed, you know, and we're, we're blessed to even be in this situation, no matter what happens, you know, I, I'm thankful for what the, the team has done. Well, on the men's side, you know, I would say it's, it's uh, Iowa and Ohio state. And then there's a there's a bunch of other teams right there too, and so we're all in that kind of that group of say there's five teams who are trying to to fight for that top three battle, you know. And so we're you know again we feel confident we have like tremendous some tremendous athletes who can push to win some Big Ten titles on both genders, you know. But the men there's quite a few of those guys as well, and so you know um, again it's the same goal as the women. You know we want to make a push. We always want to try to be in the top three. Both teams were, you know, the men were last year top three outdoor again, you know, and so it's the same same goal as always, you know, and and um, you know I think I think we feel good about it. And you know I do believe in a home track advantage, you know. There's you do get bonus points for that. It's you see it every year, you know, with the whole school. And so we're gonna we're gonna take all those we can get and hopefully more and 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 make a good push because we do want to represent well because it's you know you don't get this event. Um, you know, another 13, 14 years from now, you know, and um, it's a once in a lifetime thing. You know, I've been blessed to be able to do it twice and, you know, I won't be around for the next one, you know, um, but, you know, it's we just want to put on a good show and we want everybody to to enjoy the meet and, and feel the love of, of the campus and, and just make sure it's it's just well done. That's what's great about our sport is the essence of it's really you versus me, you know, something that we've all experienced since we've been little kids. I'm going to race you to the tree or I bet I can throw this ball farther than you. That's what's happening this weekend. So it represents, you know, in my mind, it represents every everybody. Since you're a little kid, our sports represents that. Not everybody can play football or basketball, but everybody can race to the tree or see how far I can throw something. And if I can beat you or you can beat me, you know, and that's that's what I love about our sport. It represents everybody across the line, no matter who you are. Um, and it's the purest form of competition you have. It's you versus me. That's Gopher Track and Field Coach Matt Bingle with m M&M and Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
That is going to do it for us for this week. Thanks again so much for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.